everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones. Actually, it's a great day because anytime you beat Miami, Keith, qualifies as a great day, and we'll look at it that way for the next 365 days. There's no question. There's no question. Uh, Would have wanted it to be a little bit different, but uh, once that final gun goes off, uh, you're just happy with the W. There's no question. Certainly, it was far from perfect. I had a sneaking suspicion it was going to be like this, though. I really felt like Miami would play its tail off, and they did. And that's a talented Miami team. Mario's done a good job at the line of scrimmage there. Their defense was even better than I expected them to be, but it didn't feel like we were firing all cylinders. All that said, Keith, at 27-13, FSU has the football, and Jordan throws a perfect pass to Keon Coleman, who gets held and turns around and runs his route, and there's no flag. And if he catches that, he probably scores. If they get the penalty, they might go down and score. You get it to a three-score lead, and I think the game finishes different. Alas, that's not the way it unfolded. Florida State punts. Miami gets the 80-yard touchdown gift, frankly. I'm not trying to sell Miami short on giving them credit, but there were two DBs there, and it got bungled and turned into a Miami touchdown, and then it was buckle up. Here we go. Those are those are indicative of how these this series goes. Uh, uh, I was at home. I did not attend the game. Um uh, and so I'm watching uh, the the obviously the the television broadcast, and at one point they threw up a, a stat that I hadn't dawned on. But in the last, I think it was the last 30 years, 17 of these outcomes have been decided by six points or less. You know, there's just there's been a couple of three runaways, but but they've been tight ball games. And uh, as soon as uh, as soon as that receiver cleared when Knowles. Miss misread his his angle. Um, I I said to myself, uh, yeah, buckle up. This this isn't this is going to go down to the last series, and it, it might be really really close. To your point, Jeff mentioned several times during the radio broadcast that in the previous sixty seven games between the two sides, the point differential was one in sixty seven meetings. So that would that's amazing. That's amazing. That would speak to, so. And it was one in favor of Miami, so now it's six in favor of FSU, right? Yep, yep. Can we talk about the safety play? I hate to go negative. Can we go there first, or do you want to start elsewhere? Well, I think we need to have a conversation, a, a repeated conversation, but this time at a higher level. Uh, the officiating was atrocious on both sides. Hold on, hold up. Are you playing the part of Tom Block? I'm, I'm playing the part of systemic – reform we've we've got to the acc has got to change how the officials are trained how the officials are judged and most importantly what officials you put in the replay booth that was such an, an egregiously bad call i mean i haven't even heard or read a single person that says oh well wait a minute when you're going into the end zone, the ball has to cross the front part of the stripe. But but when you're coming out of the end zone or you're judging a safety, it has to be the other part of the stripe. That's not even a true statement. My point being, no one has offered a single rebuttal as to why that call wasn't a safety. And... Sean McDonough and uh, what's his face that did the game 
they sent word to the replay booth. And the replay booth was supposed to come and visit with the TV crew at halftime. They agreed to come and meet with the TV crew at halftime, and then they didn't show up. Got to change something. Well, in terms of systemic change, the officials should be held accountable and somebody on the crew should speak after every game to answer questions about calls, but they don't. So we live in this area and you're, you're, you're making that point that they couldn't even go talk to the TV crew at halftime about why they ruled it that way. Exactly. Here's the, here's the irony, Keith. When I said the safety play, I meant the play of FSU safeties and that bad angle and some issues we've seen over recent weeks. But since you went to that safety play first, which is obvious, I feel like it actually Miami. It should have been a safety. Question. I feel like Miami got more points out of that situation than they would have, though. If, if they give them the safety and Florida State free kicks, I'm not sure Miami comes down and gets any points before half, and so it's ten nine FSU. Instead, FSU punch. You don't have your full distance. They get the ball to thirty two, and they get a field goal. So what I'm saying is Miami. I think we'll never know. Miami came out ahead by not getting that call. Matter of fact, after it wasn't called a safety, and I'm looking at the fact that Miami had come close on Master Mono earlier in the game, and he's only going to have 10 yards there. I, part of me was thinking maybe you have to take a safety and then free kick because this is not going to end well. Certainly that goes through your mind. I've never been a, a proponent of doing that. I know it's worked out in, in games. I can't recite specific situations, but – you know, obviously that is a consideration. Uh, so it has worked in the past. Our coaches wouldn't even think about it. Um, and by the way, Master Mono had a great game punting. Uh, but it it just it just stuck in my call. I mean, Florida State lost an interception. Whoever had that interception, diving interception, that was clearly in my mind. Uh, you mentioned some holding calls that were not called candidly on both sides, both sides. Uh, there was a hand to the to to the face a couple of times. Miami's defensive line was getting their hands all up in the FSU offensive line's grill the entire ball game, and they never called that. Um, it was just it was just bad, uh, so I bad, so bad. You don't even make excuses for it. I didn't think Miami made the first down on that final drive, and once the Miami quarterback well, that was a horrific injury. I thought he was short. Jordan Travis was targeted, an obvious targeting. And by the way, that safety for Miami, yeah, I'm not going to suggest that Florida State's never had players that that stray into that gray area, but he was pretty deep into the gray in terms of being a dirty player based on watching him play last night, that being one of the shots. You know, rather than, rather than complain about it, because as, as I've always said, Keith, when you're good enough, you overcome the officiating. And Florida State's been good enough so far to do that. And and Miami fans will complain. It should have been a safety there. I, I know. But I, I I feel like they're equal opportunity bad is, is the way I look at the refs. The game is too fast for them. And so in terms of fixing it, Keith, you know I've long been a proponent. And maybe we'll get there whenever we get to two leagues or one super conference. You don't need conference officials. You need everybody trained the same way. So the points of emphasis are all the same. And at least when you watch one game in one league or between Alabama and Georgia, and then you watch Florida State and Miami, you see things enforced the same way. That would help. We'd all have a better understanding of what actually is an infraction. 
But after they didn't call that targeting last night, and last week when I watched Alabama absolutely target Jaden Daniels to the point they knocked him out of the game with a concussion, and they didn't call that targeting, I don't even know what targeting is anymore. I mean, why have the rule if those two aren't going to get called? Agreed. And, you know, we got too many aspects of the targeting call. Williams should have been called for targeting, not because he hit Travis late or he hit him above the shoulders. He hit him with the crown of the helmet. That's been spearing since I played and dinosaurs rolled the earth. How do you miss that? I know. Well, one of the, let's not go down the targeting black hole, but, but one of the things people have never really understood is that there's multiple ways you can trigger a targeting and it doesn't have to be all of them. The way the rule is written, if you lead with the crown of the helmet and hit a guy in the big toe by rule, it's targeting doesn't get called by rule. It's targeting. If you launch, it's targeting. If you take any part of your body and you hit somebody above, you know, in the it's targeting. Only a defensive pl- de- defenseless player. Only a defenseless Not anybody. Player. Not anybody. So being there's there's multiple ways to trigger it. You don't have to. I think there's this perception that you have to launch, hit with the crown of the helmet, and hit above the neck and shoulders, and and that's that's not the way it's written. Anyway, to me, the game moves too fast, Keith, and I don't know how you fix it, but it's. And and also, in defense of the referees, the technology is so good that we have multiple replay angles, and they're judging this in in real time. But there's got to be a better way. There, there's... That's why I started with we've got to have more competent people in the replay booth. You can do that. You can do replays real time. You don't have to take two minutes to review something. They've got the technology to do that. I'll shut up. All right, let's move past officiating. Here's another area where the game has not caught up, Keith. You know how when the offense, they change the rules, they favor the offense, the offense starts doing, instead of two backs, you're seeing one back sets, whatever it is, eventually the defense adjusts and catches up, right? And then the offense adjusts. As it, and I, don't, I don't just mean in a game. I mean over the course of a season or a couple of years. Well, I don't feel like college football has figured out what to do with Australian punters yet because they control the ball so damn well, and they can kick it short, they can kick it left, they can kick it right. And we're still trotting the one punt returner out there 43 yards from the line of scrimmage, expecting to get a 4.1 hang time punt like back in your day. And that's just not how they punt anymore. I mean, it's tremendous. I'm going a long way to say Alex Mastromano. That might be the best game I've seen a punter have. You remember Ron Stark in those days. I guess he's the best FSU ever had. Mastermano is pretty damn good right now. His directional and then, again, the the ability to kick the ball, the old-timey kick the ball where it rotates like a kickoff so that you can literally kick it into the eight-yard line, the five-yard line, the three-yard line, and it'll stop. You know, kind of like I wish my nine iron would work. Uh, I've never been able to do that. Uh, on the golf course. Yeah, I agree. And, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily just the Aussies. You, I, I'm sure there's uh, a couple of entrepreneurial folks out there uh, that aren't named uh, Manning uh, that will start uh, the punting camps and we'll start teaching the sixth and seventh graders how to, how to punt the ball Australian ways, even if they don't have a funny accent. By the way, I interviewed Master Mono after the game, and just listening to the accent is is terrific to, to listen to. 
that he refers to the lads and the boys and how they played well <laughs> and 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 chap and mate not chap mate mate, mate. thanks mate. tom mate boys played well and then i asked him how, what meal he would uh, enjoy or partake of to celebrate we might get a steak a pizza here and he said Vegemite sandwich, which I hadn't really heard since the Men at Work song in 1982. Right. But that that was his, his choice. And he had family and his mom was in. And he said she might have brought one from Australia with her. So that's how you celebrate. There you go. There you go. Do you fix that sandwich on a Barbie? I'm not. I don't, I don't remember all the words of the song. I don't know a thing about it, Keith. I honestly don't. I honestly don't. But it's. <laughs> he was. Uh, but he punted really well. Let's take a moment to salute the special teams for all of the, excuse me, pain and suffering over the years from a, a missed kick or special teams play that cost Florida State a game. Florida State absolutely won the special teams battle last night. Now, I know Miami's punter punted well, but their all-world kicker missed a kick that he generally makes, and Florida State sprung a punt return, which led to the winning touchdown, as it turned out. Master Mono was was tremendous, and uh, and so was Fitz. He, most of them were touchbacks, but even when their kick returner, who leads the ACC, might lead the country, got a chance, Florida State didn't let them get to the 25 either time. I mean, that was a ma- – and they should have got the onside kick, and we can talk about whether they should have did that or not in a moment. It was a masterful performance on special teams. I would agree, and uh, in, in all phases. You know, normally we talk about the missed field goal. Uh, or or a single punt or a single punt return, but this was probably as complete a special teams performance as we've seen certainly in, in Coach Norvell's era. I mean, Coach uh, Coach P, Coach Papushis, and 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 the kids that are on those teams have worked extremely hard to make that happen, and it showed. You're, you're exactly right. Hey, so what did you think about the onside kick to start the second half? Uh, you know, I, I it it surprised me, so it wasn't even in the back of my mem- mind. Uh, Coach Norvell continues to to pull those things out. I don't agree with them, but I don't pretend to understand the metrics. Um, you know, uh, going forward on fourth down in the situations they do. I thought it was a gutsy call. Uh, I thought Miami's kid made or lad or chap made a tremendous play on the ball. I don't know if you had a chance to see the replay. I don't know what they showed in the stadium. Uh, but he literally went up and, and snagged that thing like you would on a hardwood, on a, on a rebound. Or it was right there for FSU to get. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with the call. I, I heard somebody say, they recognized something. Miami was fading out a little quickly there because that, that was there for the taking. I heard somebody say, maybe score and then try it. But if you score and have the lead and then you try it and you don't get it, now you've given Miami a short field to get right back in the game where you just grab momentum. To me, that was a you didn't have momentum, let's try to grab it. Uh, as it turned out, it to me, it, feels, it, it felt like it energized the crowd because all of a sudden the situation became a little more dire. It got louder in the stadium. Defense bowed up, held them to a field goal. And so all things considered, Miami had the opening drive. Yeah, it, it ended up not eating as much time off the clock because they only had half a field and, and you got the ball back down three and then you went to work. So I, I didn't have a problem with it uh, overall. Uh, and it, it is Norvell's style. He's he's going to be aggressive and I like it. He's not conservative. I will say you, you mentioned fourth downs, Keith. I, I know that 
there's times he's driven you crazy with his fourth down math. He seems to be pretty cognizant of basing those decisions on who he's playing. Is the game home and away? There's some fourth downs earlier this year where he wouldn't say it this way, but he obviously knew that the offense they were playing was not like Syracuse's one. You're going for it fourth and six, fourth and eight. He knows that offense isn't going anywhere. So he's he's being assertive and aggressive. Last night, he recognized when you're, what were you, at the four-yard line, fourth and goal at the four? We got to take the field goal and tie this game. This is not a situation to go for it here and not get points. He, there was no decision. He sent Fitz out right away. So I think he does a better job at that maybe than what we are want to want to appreciate just because it's unconventional compared to football historically. Well, and here's the other part, and this is going to sound like a criticism. I don't mean it as such, but it's his way of uh, being public. He doesn't talk about it, just like they don't talk about injuries. I mean, I sit there and watch those weekly and daily during the week uh, press conferences with, with what we call the hacks, the regulars, and, and they're trying their best to try to get some information. They know not to ask. You don't flat out ask, will Keon Coleman play this week? Because that will get his ire. He, he will not be happy that you asked that question. So you have to learn how to couch it in such a way that, you know, he can give some form of a response because occasionally he'll say, no, no, we don't think Keon will be available this week. He'll, he'll go that way, but he won't tell you about when they're available. He doesn't talk about the metrics. He, you know, at least I haven't heard him sit down with anybody. Maybe that's a conversation that, uh, you know, somebody wants to have with him in the off season, you know, about what, what metrics do you use? Where do the numbers come from? Who helps you compute those? What are the parameters? How much of it is based on science versus on your gut? I mean, he's just he's just never disclosed the 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 idea behind that. I think what you said is the part that there is a feel to it. It's it's science and also gut and intuition. In other words, you're not looking at the same sheet of paper that says if you're at the opponent's 38 and it's fourth and two, you go every time no matter who you're playing. There's other can now he in that situation, fourth and two. He might go every time, <laughs> but 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 there's some that are grayer areas, and I think it takes into account. Okay, who are we playing? What do we have for the this yardage situation? What does their offense look like if we don't get it? What is the win? How is the kick? So I think some of that factors in. I mean, you have a baseline. It's like you have a baseline for what you want to call in a you know on second and seven, and then you make the decision. Okay, no, they're doing this. Maybe I'm not going to call that play, but I, I think he's pretty good at it. Um, all right, where where you want to go from there? Uh, tip of the cap. Well, let's go back to your original. Let's go back to your original question uh, that I didn't answer, but the safety play. Um, you know, I I've been in that position a bunch of times. In fact, Tommy, I went back. Someone sent me the link. I had never really watched uh, the 1979 FSU Florida game down in Gainesville, my junior year, and somebody sent me a link to it on YouTube, and I was watching it. And, and there was a, a, a pass identical to the one that was caught for the touchdown from Miami. Uh, this one went to Collinsworth. And, and I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying our rules, we called that cover two. So I had Bobby Butler underneath trailer and I was over the top. Our rule was to go through the receiver. Okay, unless 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 you know, I was going to undercut it and get the pass. You go through the receiver because it's better to get a pass interference call than to let that kid go by you. 
And that's why we talk about the angles. Knowles just took an improper angle. You've, you've got to take the angle that takes you through the receiver. You're in that, in that situation, it's worth a, pa, a PI. It's worth a pass interference because more than likely he makes that catch. He's gone. And it was a great catch. I mean, uh, the corner was closer than, than I saw uh, in real time. I, you know, when you see the real replay, whoever was that green, I think underneath. Uh, I think it was Fentrell. I think was it was Fentrell. It was a Fentrell Cypress. Okay. Uh, but and, and I'm not bashing Knowles. I'm just saying he that was, you know, it's kind of like when the linebacker takes the wrong fit and somebody spurts out for a 35 yard, you know, rush. You can identify it real easily and you can fix it real easily. That can be fixed very easily. Well, in today's game, so it's, I knew that you would say it that way. Now, for our listeners' sake, you and I have a little bit of an age difference. So I didn't grow up watching you, I've watched some highlights. But my thought was, if that was you, that receiver would still be on his backside right now, uh, having not made the catch. But in today's game, because not only was it a bad angle, but Knowles also pulled him so as not to hit him. And that has to do with the confusion about what's a defenseless receiver, and that's that's kind of today's game. If he drills him there just as the ball arrives, is that not a good play, or is that hitting a defenseless receiver? I don't care. What did, how did I couch this? It's no, 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 worth no, no. the pass interference. I'm asking you, would it be pass interference or or, or some kind of unsportsmanlike feat? Because it, it – I haven't watched the replay yet as we're taping this for our listeners' sake. We do this on Sunday mornings. I get home late Saturdays. I've not had a time to go back to, and watch this. It looked to me like if he had just gone through the receiver, he and the ball would have arrived at the same time. But maybe I'm off on that. I believe you are correct in that particular instance. But again, to answer your question, I didn't say hit him in the head. I didn't say hit him with the crown. Put your shoulder into him as the ball's getting there. That's pass interference. That's not targeting. Yeah. I guess I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, Ventrell Cypress came in as an all ACC corner from Virginia. And I've heard a lot from our fan base that they don't feel like he's lived up to the hype. Now, granted, this is a small sample size. This is Twitter and whatnot. I haven't polled all 400,000 Florida State alumni, right? But uh, I, I think he's better than what we give him credit for. For example, he was in pretty good coverage there, thought the safety was going to be over the top, which is where the safety should be, and didn't get help. And now we say, well, Fentrell got burned. No. Last week, and he never said it publicly, the long play where he saved a touchdown – it was not his responsibility. The safety busted that coverage. Fentrell chased it down. Now, there are times earlier this year, I remember the first drive at Clemson, a ball was behind the Clemson receiver. It hit Fentrell in the hands. He should have had an interception. I don't think he has a pick this year. Well, that was fairly significant because you're at Clemson and you would have had the ball at the Clemson 40-yard line. So I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm just saying I feel like he's played better maybe than, than what we're giving him credit for. I think both Florida State corners have been pretty good. All three. 20 as well. Let's. I mean, I think those three corners have been pretty damn good. I, I would agree. Uh, and and, I think, and I, let me let me expand that. Greedy Vance played a whale of a game last night. Jarian Jones had the, the interception to seal the game. So let's give some love to the slot corners too. I feel like those five guys have really balled out this year. And let's be fair, Knowles has played well. We're, we're just picking on a single play where, where he made a mistake. He's had a re very, very good season. I, I by no means am saying 
that he wasn't worthy of being back there and certainly not worthy of playing going forward. He just made a mistake on that play. And pardon me. And I think, I think you're, I'm not, a, I'm not as in agreement with you as you might hope I am about him worried about it being targeting or that type of thing. I think he just made a mistake. And, and yeah. you, there were times, I can't tell you, Tommy, a dozen times in my short career, long, long time ago, when, when Monk would hit me dead in the back and it hurt because he was just hitting something. And so you can't even use the excuse he was worried about hitting Fentrell. You, you just got to get there, period, the end. And then what happens, happens. I guess for me it goes back to the offseason where we knew after losing Jamie Robinson that a position of need and where there was a lack of depth was the safety position. And I do feel like that has shown up over the course of the year. I mean, Knowles didn't have a good game against Boston College, and he's missed some tackles this year. When Akeem Dent was out was when the team was at its worst at the safety position, which was B.C., Clemson, that stretch. Tahim has played very well at times, not as well at others. Uh, Hussey, who is around the ball and makes plays, he also busts an assignment or two, which there's this call for Hussey to play more. But the reason he's not playing more is neglecting – not neglecting – but but blowing assignments at times well, as he learns. And he's a freshman. I mean, he's he's young. He's, he hadn't had, you know, a couple of three springs when when the pace is a little slower and you're able to teach a little more to get a feel for it. Yeah, let me let me withdraw the word neglecting. That has a negative connotation as if he's choosing to freelance. I don't mean to imply that. He's learning still. So anyway, that's knowing that. And if I'm the opposing offense and I've looked at a lot of game tape and you look at that defense, I feel like the safeties are an area you would potentially start with in terms of trying to expose something is, is what I'm saying. Uh, if, if you're the opposing offense. So here's that's the thing, though, Tommy. State. Here's the thing though, Tommy, excuse me for interrupting. We're spoiled because two years ago and three years ago, and maybe five and seven years ago, we were all talking about receivers running free. There were two Florida State defenders right there. That was an yeah. exceptional catch and, and throw and catch. So we're, we're complaining about a different level of play, and we're spoiled. I'm happy to be spoiled. I like being spoiled. Kathy spoils me all the time. Um, it's a world I love living in, uh, but we're spoiled. Well, we've got a different level that we're – talking about now because we're 10 and 0 and in the playoff hunt and so we're we're at a different nitpicking level than when you and I would do these shows after a three touchdown loss to Wake Forest. Thankfully Correct. we're not doing those anymore. Pelin Deloach by the way. I that this is another another storyline has been going into the season the last two years Florida State's linebackers are not up to snuff. I think the linebackers have been pretty good this year. Tatum's been healthier this year. But Kalen DeLoach, it didn't occur to me until watching it again last night, be the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, Keith. I think he's leading the league in sacks and tackles for loss. That play that changed the outcome at Clemson, he had two sacks last night, career high in tackles. Good. He finished with 10, as you mentioned, the two sacks. And by the way, those two sacks, I think, were in the first half. Uh, I mean, he, he set the tone early. Uh, I agree. Um, uh, Bethune has been steady. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's been an area. Hats off, hats off 
to Norvell reaching out, finding a way to bring Randy Shannon in. Because, uh, you know, he's technically the co-defensive coordinator, I think, is still the title, but you don't hear from him very much. So as the media and our fans, we, we forget that, that, that Randy's on this staff and Randy's in charge of that segment. And uh, the players have bought in. Uh, they have been, what's the phrase we use? They've been coached up good, and they're performing well. So hats off to Coach Shannon and, and that entire that entire segment. What did you see in terms of how the defense did a better job in the second half fitting the run? Because Miami found something in the second quarter. And then really the second half, the play we just talked about was one thing. But other than that, Miami was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Didn't really do anything. Well, if you take uh, the the two longest runs, memory serves, were 29 and 20. So that's 50 yards. And you take the 80-yard touchdown, uh, that's 130. They only had 330 for the game. So you're you're holding Miami to 200 yards on about 60 snaps. In answer to your direct question, um, we talk about run fits and what, what Miami's offensive line, you mentioned earlier when you started that uh, Coach Cristobal has done a really good job on, on both the defensive front and the offensive line. Um, they, were, they were attacking the gaps with the wrong shoulder. And Miami's offensive line were, was able to move them one way or the other, and the backs were able to cut behind them. In other words, the linebackers were where they needed to be, in my opinion. Let's ask Coach Shannon. He knows far more than I would ever know. But that was the adjustment at halftime. How do you take on that pulling guard or that pulling tackle? What shoulder do you use and what fit do you use? And and that appeared to be a halftime correction. Yeah, William Floyd pointed out he felt like there was three linebackers out there more in the second half. And so I asked Kalen DeLoach about that, if that was a change or if that was just matching personnel. Kalen said it was just matching personnel, but what Norvell said after the game is that Miami ran some stuff that they hadn't run at a certain looks, and so maybe it was both, i.e. a guy that FSU pregame had identified needed to be covered with a nickel corner was somebody that Miami wasn't using that way, and so they had, they, you know, same formation second half, but now they put a third linebacker in instead of the nickel corner, if that makes sense. Well, again, as we've talked about, uh, one of the huge – things that the average fan or even even people like us that pretend to and, and think that we know a little bit doesn't understand is those in-game and halftime adjustments and what you prepared for all week and now you're seeing something different and the ability for your kids uh, to react favorably and positively to, okay, we practiced it this way, now we got to do it that way and you got to start doing it that way right now. And the ability to communicate, to recognize that, to communicate that, and then get the players to execute it. You know, we've always said that's what separates the really, really good teams from the great teams. I'm not ready to make this FSU defense a great defense, but it's really, really good. Anything else on the defense? And then we'll flip it over to the offense. Uh, you know, I just thought that 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 they they matched up. You know, when when FSU needed to make a play. Um, they, they, they matched up well and made the play. Cause you mentioned there were three, maybe four consecutive series in the third quarter, maybe early in the fourth where Miami went three and out. 
Now, I know the freshman quarterback was struggling, and I echo your comments earlier. We wish him uh, well, uh, you know, with his arm injury. Um, but I, but I thought FSU did a really good job of harassing him. Uh, I think FSU is number two in the country right now, Tommy, in opponents' percentage of completion. I think opponents are are completing less than fifty percent of their passes against this Florida State defense overall. Um, I, I, you know, absent a couple of big gush plays, uh, I, I thought I think they're playing really, really well. Yeah, can I add a little something on that, by the way? Because, and and it's it's somewhat true. Florida State has not played a bunch of world beaters at quarterback of late, right? So. Virginia Tech switched quarterbacks, and Florida State caught that guy in his second or third start. Pitt's quarterback was making his third or fourth start. Miami's quarterback was making his second start. Well, you play who's on the schedule, and it is what it is. And and Michigan, who gets all this praise for being this great defense, what quarterbacks have they faced over the course of their soft schedule to right now? So I guess what I'm saying, I'm I'm supportive of what you're saying, Keith. I'm trying not to, to let it get minimized or diminished by who FSU's played. You play who you play. Well, not only that, uh, what about Michigan's own quarterback and what about their, their play calling? They did not throw a single pass in the second half against Penn State. Not a single pass. Not a single yeah. attempt. So I asked this after watching the Penn State-Ohio State game a few weeks back, and I did not really get a chance to watch the Penn State-Michigan game. But are we sure these teams play great defense, or are they just bad on offense? That's a that that will be we'll figure that out in round one, I would think, don't you? Okay, as long as we widen it to this, and we still have to talk about Jordan. I want to talk about Jordan a little bit. I actually feel like related to the to the playoff rankings that Florida State is going to drop to fifth this week, Keith, which. Doesn't matter in the context of Ohio State and Michigan play, and one of them is going to drop out or below the unbeaten teams. But if that game is 31 30, it scares me to death that the committee will say, no, they're both among the top four, and there will be an unbeaten left out. And I hate to get negative. I'm playing the role of you right now. <laughs> I, I do. Now, Washington. Same deal. Washington won by a touchdown at home over a good team, but they're the good the good opponent they faced. Utah was ranked. Reality is, if you played Utah and Miami, those teams are probably pretty even. Well, uh, you you mentioned that. I hadn't really thought about that. So now my old man hackles are up because we did talk about this. Alabama is playing very well right now. Alabama is the hottest college team. Maybe maybe Bo Nix and the, and the kids at Oregon are, are neck and neck. But in terms of who's hot right now, and, and the, the, the growth of uh, the quarterback there at Alabama has been phenomenal. My fear is a similar argument that we've had, that Alabama and Georgia play each other in the SEC championship, and it's 41-40, and Alabama wins, and now you get two SEC teams in there. And Washington loses, and Florida State loses, and not not losing games, but loses out with that opportunity. Um, so thank you for for bringing up another uh, scenario that can cause me to stay up at night. I just have to believe that the unbeaten teams left will get in over the one loss teams, but we won't know. 
because there's no specific formula on how much is based on results on the field and how much is based on eye test. This is why it's driven me crazy for years that a, a way they could have simplified this still could have led to some controversy, but you have to be a conference champion to be considered, but we haven't done that. So we need multiple teams from the SEC, and like you're talking about, let's get Alabama and Georgia in or Michigan and Ohio State. That is one thing I like in the new playoff system, that you know that you have a, a ticket if you win your conference. And I realize there might be a year where somebody who's 8-4 and four wins the conference, right? It is what it is. We don't we don't have conversations or put asterisks 10 years after the fact that a wild card team won the Super Bowl. They went in, they won the playoff. That's how they got there. It is what it is. You know, that that's I agree. I'll just leave it at that. I agree. By the way, yeah, it, hats off, hats off to the uh, committee. Um uh, a new executive director. Uh, I, I actually had an opportunity to know Bill Hancock just a little bit. Uh, he, he might not even remember me. I might have to reinduce myself to him, but he was with the ACC for a number of years. And I had an opportunity to visit with him on a couple of occasions. He's retiring. And the, um, the general uh, from the, uh, or Admiral or, or whatever he is uh, from the, uh, uh, was it the Air Force Academy uh, is coming on board. And uh, I think that's a great selection. And by the way, for our listeners that are paying attention to that, you've mentioned it. As it sits right now, uh, it technically is a six plus six formula, six conference champions and six at large. And with the Pac-12 going away, they're going to be talking about a five plus seven. Uh, so if you're into that type of minutia, that'll be a, a topic you'll hear written about here in the next week, two or three. Excuse me. Shout out to frequent guest on Front Row Knowles, David Hale, who's very funny on X, Keith, and I know you're not on Twitter, X. But the, the gentleman's name who took over is Richard Clark, right? And so David Hale retweets that, and he says, well, we're back to Dick Clark determining our New Year's plans once again. <laughs> you're right. I did not pick up on that, and hats off to David. He, he's very Hale, good Hale was stuff. all over that one. He, yep. he was all over yep. that one. So, yeah, we don't need to belabor the playoff point because more games will be played and hopefully it doesn't come down to this. But that that scenario does exist. Let's go back to the offense, Keith. Jordan Travis, the last two weeks, uh, he, he's so competitive, but there are times when he's held the ball too long. And I, one was the safety play. Last week it was the flea flicker against Pitt. And uh, I, on the one hand, he competes to the last second. And if you weighed it, you'd say, well, there's so many times that he kept the play alive that the positives outweigh the negative. But feels, and this is a high bar. I want to be careful here because regression has a negative connotation too. But it feels like this offense is not quite firing at all cylinders in the last couple of weeks. And it could be that you didn't have your best receivers last week. And even though they were back, you haven't had them in practice really for a while. Bumps and bruises could be the opponent. But what do you see overall offense in Jordan right now? I would agree uh, that there's still a lot of upside. Uh, I do not think this offense has played four quarters. Uh, of course, if they play like they're supposed to, they're only going to play for two and a half quarters, you know, before you get the, the twos and the threes in. Um, I, I don't like the term regression. Uh, like you, uh, I don't want to say that that uh, Jordan has taken a step back, but here's what I will say: uh, I think the competition has gotten better. In other words, the the true athleticism of that defensive front. So when he's feeling pressure, 
uh, and he's playing X team, we won't even name him. We'll just say X team. Then he can, he can do a 360, a, a 270. He can will out. He can go left. He can go right. And he can get away from him. Well, now you've reached the level. Miami's front, Florida's front will be talented. Um, uh, Louisville's front will be talented when you play them in the championship game. Whoever, if you get into the college playoff, they're going to be talented. I think he just doesn't uh, respect or truly has, has uh, overestimated his escapability. That's what I think it is. And so he's got to be refocused, and they've got to spend some time setting up some drills and, and getting to his mind. All right, you've got to be a tenth or two-tenths of a second quicker. And if you're not, you've got to get rid of the ball. Make sense? It does. It does. And he threw one away at one point last night. Uh, maybe maybe two. He might have underhanded one into the ground, too. I feel like where Jordan is best is when he moves the pocket, whether it's a designed move of the pocket as part of the play or he does it on his own. Just think about what he's done against LSU the last two years where he's sliding right or left and he finds a guy 12 yards downfield. We haven't seen any of that lately. He's in pocket at all times, it seems like. Are teams doing their job in their rush? Is there oh, no question. Going- oh, no question. I mean, how, how do you keep a mobile quarterback from hurting you? You keep him in the pocket. How do you keep him in the pocket? You widen your rush angles. You make him, instead of reeling out left or right, you make him step up. You make him step up. So you intentionally set your angles and set your, your, your uh, attacks wider and deeper. Uh, oh, yeah, that's all designed. Uh, there's no question that that defensive coordinators, defensive staffs are taking that strength away from him. And now you got to recognize that. So you step up, it's not there, drill it in the ground, throw it, some, you know, throw it at somebody. To be fair, me using LSU as an example is a bad choice because LSU is a business. You can't believe how bad LSU is on defense. Total side note, but they're abysmal. So should Florida State, could Florida State design more plays that move the pocket on its own? And I know the downside of that is that you're cutting the field in half and you're cutting your targets in half and that sort of thing. But it just feels like Jordan with a little space is such a cheat code. If two guys are in the pattern and they're covered, Jordan can make the DN or the linebacker miss and get six or eight yards on that, it feels like to me. But maybe I'm oversimplifying and that's not correct. Uh, you know, again – It'd be wonderful if if Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins would sit down and say, "All right, first through ten games, here's what we've started seeing. Here's what we've changed the last two games." But you you don't do that during the season. That would be a conversation I would love to hear them talk about after the season, because obviously you don't want to you don't want to show your hand on anything. Yeah. Well, the good news is Florida State gets a breather again of the game this week, so they will rest anybody with a hangnail who needs to be rested. And everybody else ought to be done by halftime. This is a three and seven team that's coming in. So, I mean, this is, again, if you got a hangnail, you're sitting this one out. It was good to see Johnny and Keon back. They make a difference. I guess part of looking at last night, I mean, the corners for Miami, it was Miami's second string corners on both sides. And they were given a big cushion. It, it felt like there were five yard hitches, outs, or 10 yard shoulder throws every play for 64 plays if FSU wanted to take that. Um, but 
At times you don't, you keep running the ball. And I will say this, as frustrating as it is when the run goes nowhere, the reason you do that is because later in the game, you do spring a 38-yard touchdown run from Trey Benson. Yeah. Uh, the one guy that I wish would get untracked is, is LT. Uh, you know, he hasn't had a lot of touches over the last four or five games. Obviously, he's really, really good catching the ball out of the backfield. But you're going to need, uh, you know, you're going to need a, 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 another, a second back uh, whether that's LT or one of the younger kids, um, when when you when you get into this final run, um, and um, and hopefully that will come about. That will come about. Now, the one thing I did mention, and as we wrap things up, uh, you know, um, starting center went out at, at, right before halftime and didn't come back. So now you've got to have conversations about that OL and nicks and bruises, as you mentioned, hangnails. And that type of thing is you get ready for Florida and then you get ready for the ACC championship game. Did Maurice not come back in and play the second half? I, I don't recall seeing him. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But he, he left right before halftime. He left, he left before halftime, but I saw him come back out and he looked ready to play. But I don't recall in the game action if he was there or not. I'm, I'm, and I may be mistaken. Yeah. I'm just saying it raised that part of the question also you know, has to be in the equation. This is your moment to shine, KJ. Take it away. <laughs> I'm going to do another thing a little different, Tommy. I don't know if you've thought about this. I don't know if our fan base has talk, thought about this. Uh, but it's time for our our, our best moment or best uh, play uh, of the game, always brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank. I'm going to salute the crowd. Tommy, I don't know if you've thought about this, but that's the last time you're going to see Dope Campbell at, at what we call capacity. Next year, when the West Stands are under uh, construction, um, uh, there'll be a, a lesser number available, even for what has been a sellout. Uh, for the first game of the 25 season, when Alabama visits, uh, stadium capacity will be something less than 70. Uh, but last night, uh, there were 79,000-plus in Dope Campbell. Uh, they stayed till the end. They were loud. They affected play. They certainly encouraged the kids. Uh, so our uh, our uh, best play, best move of the game is going to go to our crowd. For the last time, you're going to see Dope Campbell at that present capacity, full and raucous. And obviously, this is brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank, two locations in Tallahassee. Down, one down in Crawfordville, one in Lakeland. You can visit them on the web at www.trymybank.com. Uh, longtime sponsor of the program. Uh, folks at Prime Meridian do a wonderful job. Go by and see them. Uh, but hats off to the crowd. I think that's an excellent choice, KJ. Good job. You're thinking. You're using that noggin. I'm trying. I'm trying. I don't think we have anything else, Keith. It was a win over Miami. That's 10 out of the last 14 against Miami, by the way, if you're scoring at home. That's not bad. I, I still think they lead the series by one or two. We may have six more points, but I think they lead the win total by one or two still. They lead by two. I think it's 35 to 33 now. By the way, by the way, I made the, the television broadcast because the, Af, the AFLAP trivia question, when was the last time an unranked Miami team beat a top 10 Florida State team. And dadgummit, I played in it. 1980. <laughs> 1980. Huh? 1980. Oh, let's hope that doesn't happen again. No more. No more. I want to be the last vestige of uh, an unranked Miami team beating a top 10 Florida State team. 
I don't know if congratulations or condolences is the word here, Keith, but thanks for sharing. Either or, either or. I do feel like for all the agony that gets talked about in the FSU Miami series, that 10-9 loss by the Knowles in 1980 gets left out. We usually start that conversation at 1987 and get to 91 and 92, but but you guys were right there too, and Jim Burt got you, huh? Yep. Tommy, if we win that game, if we win that game, we play Georgia for the national championship. Now, I'm not saying we would have beat Georgia. That was that was Herschel's freshman year. But we would have played in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. We would not have had a, a second game against Oklahoma. And by the way, if we had beaten Oklahoma, we would have had a share of the national title because the coaches would have given the title to us because we had beaten – we were number two in the country and Oklahoma was number four. Georgia was number one. They played Notre Dame, who was number eight or nine or ten. Uh, but if I didn't uh, weigh as much as I do right now, I could still fit into my 32-inch jeans. And that ain't happening anytime soon, if ever again. <laughs> do you remember the NFL highlight of Bo Jackson running over Brian Bosworth? Absolutely. So if you'd have played Georgia, Keith, and Herschel Walker had a head of steam and only Keith Jones was standing between him and the end zone, how would that have gone? Uh, touchdown Bulldogs. <laughs> Run, you silver britches. <laughs> and you'd have been laying there and them numbers would have been getting smaller and further away. Oh, no worse feeling in the world than you're laying on your tummy and looking up the man what you were supposed to tackle is running away, and his number is getting smaller and smaller. Yep, that would have been it. All right. We're out of time. And uh, if folks are still listening now, they're not anymore. They've heard that story before. It's been fun telling it. We'll do this again next week. We'll have a regular show this week as well. Uh, until next time, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.